0: Hey, Uncle Jocenev, this is Shaquem Ra. And as promised, I told you guys that we would be reviewing this particular book. It's called The Wealth Choice, The Secrets of Black Millionaires. So if you missed the first podcast, that podcast is now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and iHeartRadio. And it's also available on my website, www.amirasschool.com. So with that being said, let's briefly summarize what we discussed in the previous chapters. So we learned that people have to be relentless to become wealthy. You cannot be somebody that doesn't have perseverance, somebody that does not have focus, somebody that does not have discipline. And we learned that there was a woman in 1903 who started a bank. She was the first woman and she was the first black woman to charter a U.S. bank. And she chartered a bank with absolutely no funding. She was in debt, but she did not allow that to stop her from her aspirations. So that is one key highlight from what we discussed last time. We also discussed that um, the question that we ask ourselves every day is, why aren't you rich? That is what the founder of Ebony magazine asked the author of this book several times. And, you know, that's a great value question to always ask ourselves. Why am I not rich? Why am I not wealthy? What am I doing wrong? And when you ask yourself that question, the answer is going to reveal itself. So, there is that is a question that we all can ask ourselves. And even when we get rich, we still need to ask that question say, why am I not richer? So, that was another highlight. Trying to think. So, I'm going to go back a couple pages. Oh, yeah. So the the author of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich um, actually inspired this book. So. Going back to the history of how this book came about, one of the tours of Napoleon Hill actually reached out to this author and told him to do a book strictly focused on studying the financial habits of black people. So I thought that was really cool that this book actually came about as the inspiration from Think and Grow Rich. And we also talked about how we have to attack our dreams with a solitary purpose and a vision and learn to get out of our own ways. So those are four highlights from our previous discussion. And like I said before, if you missed our last discussion, then those are in the archives for you. So with that being said, we're going to start on page 12 and under the heading The Wealth Choice. So each year, approximately 50,000 manuscripts, the editor's desk and are eventually published. Bookstores generally contain about 15,000 different titles. And yet of all the books you're reading, you are holding The Wealth Choice. Is it fate? Is it luck? Is it chance or coincidence? I don't believe it is any of these things. Nothing is coincidental. I am convinced that many times during the course of our lives, the creator challenges us to be more and do more than we thought possible. I know nothing of your particular circumstances, whether you are young or old, male or female, rich or poor. I do know, however, that you are in search of a better life and increased abundance. What I'm about to reveal to you has until now been known by only a fortunate few. Ironically, this key has evaded both the educated and the illiterate. Some who have been blessed with this wisdom have rejected it. They resisted and refused to listen, just as you may wish to do. This is your chance. Forget the past and welcome this day. You will be wise to understand that at any moment, the decisions you make can alter the course of your life forever. If you follow the instructions outlined in this book, the results will be automatic. You'll suddenly realize that you are capable of achieving earning, and possessing far more than you ever thought possible, and you will realize your potential simply by applying the seven laws of wealth, million-dollar habits of men and women who have gone from rags to riches in one generation. I beg you to adhere to the words written by business philosopher Jim Rohn. Quote, let others lead small lives, but not you. Let others argue over small things, but not you. Let others cry over small hurts, but not you. Let Others leave their future in someone else's hands, but not you. And remember the things that never return. The spoken word, the speeding arrow, the wasted life, and the neglected opportunity. Now the choice is yours. The start of a new revolution. Since its publication, more than 500,000 readers have purchased a copy of Think and Grow Rich, A Black Choice. If history is any guide, perhaps half of them even bothered to open the book. 200,000 may have read as much as a chapter or two or heard me speak. 100,000 were diligent enough to absorb it from cover to cover. 10,000 dog ear to page highlighted a few passages or wrote notes in the margin. Believe me, I know. After my many speaking events, I am regularly asked to sign books. Through my unscientific poll, the number of copies featuring bent pages and highlighted is shockingly low. But regardless of how many readers actually absorbed and heeded my writings or failed to do so, a new revolution is about to take place. The zeal to do something, to implement an approach, to take the first step along a new path is clear. Let me explain. Nearly three years ago, as I prepared to catch a flight from Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, I received a phone call. One of the top investment houses in the nation wanted to partner with me in an effort to reach a little-known and untapped market segment, Black America's wealthiest. At a minimum, men and women whose annual household income exceeded 250000 and in particular those who have reached millionaire status, the game plan was simple enough. Leaning on my name recognition as a draw, I would serve as the opening act to roughly 300 invited guests in seven different cities. Once I concluded my remarks, a company representative, usually a high-ranking senior vice president, would share his or her insights on the economy and present the firm's wide array of financial services. Each 90-minute session closed with cocktails, board of ours, and small talk. It was during the small talk with these high, these financial high flyers, that the subject of my next book revealed itself and I accepted the proposal. It would be a study that would shatter many cherished, misguided beliefs, including a widely held notion that wealth and financial independence are the result of some mysteriously mysterious, jealously guarded secret, or even more insidiously that wealth is the result of being blessed with superior intelligence, talents, or skills, influence, or good luck. Wealth, as stated clearly by the millionaires I met during my initial presentations, is the result of a mindset that embraces tried and true habits backed by consistent and persistent action. In this book, I argue that a revolution is imminent, wherein the average American, particularly African Americans, are rethinking the tried, and as it turns out, not so true keys to wealth creation. Historically, at the heart of all revolutions stand no more than a handful of committed souls. Perhaps among them today are those 10,000 who have underlined key points and think and grow rich of Black choice. However, now is the time to begin a new phase. The urge to do something, anything, is clear. A quick glance at the data I describe spells out what needs to be done. Before you read any further, allow me to offer a word of advice. You may want to release or at least reconsider any preconceived notions you've held regarding blacks, whites and money. For starters, consider these statistics. According to a 2009 Pew Research Center study, the median wealth of white households was 20 times that of black household and 18 times that of Hispanic households. These lopsided wealth ratios are the largest since the federal government began publishing such data in the 1980s. White's 20 to 1 wealth advantage over African-Americans has been known to buffer and soften any economic downturns in the economy. Moreover, the net worth of Black households fell from 12,124 in 2005 to 5,600. 177 in 2009, a decline of 53%. Surprisingly, more than one-third, 35% of Black households had zero net worth during the same period. Wow. So let's stop there for a second. So two things. So what he said is that the the wealth ratio of the White household to the Black household is 20 to 1. So they have a 20 to one wealth advantage over African-Americans. And for Hispanics, it's really not that much better. They have an 18 to one wealth advantage when it comes to Hispanic Americans. And interestingly, during the presidency of George Bush, which was in 2005, and during the presidency of Obama, a black president, the net worth of black households fell from 12,124 in 2005 to 5,677 in 2009, which is a decline of 53%. And also, 35% of Black households had zero net worth during the same period. That is unacceptable, people. That is totally unacceptable for a third of us to not have any wealth whatsoever, literally zero, actually more than a third of us, almost almost 40% because it may even be higher today. It's probably closer to 40% today. Approximately 35% of African-Americans had no wealth or were in debt in 2009. To magnify this point, the Consumer Federation of America calculated that 25% of U.S. households were wealth poor, holding net assets less than 10,000. So wealth poor, means your total assets add up to less than ten thousand dollars that's what that means so that's huge you know that's a large chunk of the population this is a this statistic is a far cry from the 45 percent of black households that fall into this category home ownership rates are highest for whites 74 percent and lowest for Blacks, 46%. Strikingly, the Black unemployment rates are twice those of whites, and the median Black families net worth stands at $8,300, a fraction of that of White white households at $56,000. 24% of African-Americans spend more than their income compared with only 14% of all Americans. 32% of Blacks don't save at all. Less than one-fourth of all Americans fail to do so. To underscore these statistics, according to Earl Graves Jr., CEO of Black Enterprise Magazine, Blacks are six times more likely than whites to purchase a (laughs) Mercedes-Benz automobile. Furthermore, Graves continues, the average income of an African-American who buys a Jaguar is nearly one-third less than that of a white purchaser of the same luxury vehicle. Nearly one-third of white households own 401k or thrift savings account compared with less than one-fifth of african Americans' households. Moreover, white households are more likely to own stocks or mutual funds, 31.9% as IRA or Keo accounts, 27.5%. 10% or less of African-Americans own these assets, and their median value, $8,000, is far below that of whites, $20,000. When using the term millionaire, few tracking institutes or organizations refer to those with investments in excess of $1 million. Investments include such income-bearing tools such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, equity shares, and private businesses, Annuities, net cash value of life insurance policies, mortgage certificates of deposit, treasury bills, savings bonds, money markets, checking accounts, cash, as well as gold and other precious metals. Basically, anything of value that is reasonably liquid. Capgemini, a French based information technology firm, defines a millionaire as anyone with investable assets of a million or more, excluding primary residents. By their conservative measure, nearly 10 million millionaires exist worldwide. Credit Suisse, the international financial services conglomerate, asserts that a millionaire is an individual whose net assets exceed one million. The Credit Suisse Global Wealth Report estimates that 24 million people exist across the globe. 24 million such people exist across the globe, which equates to more millionaires than the number of people living in Australia. Some 41% of these wealth creators reside in the United States, 10% live in Japan, and 3% live in China. Closer to the home, according to the Federal Reserve, this is not the traditional way of expressing a household's level of wealth. In the context of wealth creation, home ownership and equity, the appraised value of the home minus the mortgage owed proves to be the most valuable and widely held asset. Against this backdrop in 2000, nearly three. Wait, hold on. Nearly three-quarters of white households, 74%, held home equity. In contrast, fewer than one-half of African Americans are homeowners. To compile matters, whites are three times more likely to own rental property than Black Americans, as well as to own and operate a business, 12% compared to 3.4%. Black Americans spend more than $700 billion annually Yet black owned businesses receive less than one half of 1% of all sales receipts generated in the United States. According to the 2007 federal survey of business owners of the 1.9 million black owned firms, 1.8 million are classified as sole proprietorships. Wow. So you're telling me that out of 1.9 million black owned firms, They are all classified as sole proprietorships, at least the majority, like 99%. The average receipts for these non-employee firms were a paltry $21,270. And if the future weren't bleak enough, according to a 2009 Child Trends Research Brief report, 34.5%, of African-American children, compared with only 11% of whites, are raised in poverty. Once upon a time, immigrants who traveled to this country thought that the streets in America were paved with gold. These newcomers believed that fame and fortune were possible to anyone who was armed with an idea, who backed his or her dreams with hard work and determination, and who stayed true to the guiding principles on which this country was built. Eventually, experience demonstrated that this wouldn't be true for everyone. But what is true is that wealth and prosperity come to those who know where to look for it. The high net worth men and women outlined in this study more than a thousand black millionaires know where to look. As I repeated throughout my presentation, I was thrilled and honored to be selected as a spokesperson for such a series of events. And my reasoning was simple. From the earliest days of humanity, humankind has been comprised of two camps, the haves and the have-nots. Why are some people rich and other people poor? Why are some individuals well-off financially while others continually struggle to make ends meet? When I asked the children who live in any neighborhood, to my amazement, they knew little about wealth creation and money management. They simply repeated what they had been told or what they thought to be true. Either you have it or you don't. As a have not, I wanted to know why so few African-Americans managed to climb to the ranks of the wealthy, specifically the 1% in a land where financial freedom, regardless of race, creed, or color, is allegedly available to all. Case in point, more than 25 years ago, my father died absolutely broke despite attending college and working nonstop for nearly 30 years. I remember wondering how in a country brimming with opportunities and endless possibilities Anyone could work so hard during his or her life and end up with little or nothing before falling into the lap of Social Security. That was the moment I promised myself that it would never happen to me, regardless of how long or how hard I had to search, how many books I was forced to read or how many people I had to ask. I was determined to uncover the key. To financial freedom and wealth creation. And now the answer that I and so many others seek is closer than we think. During these talks, I questioned each invited guest. In the process, I compiled enough life-altering information to fill several notebooks as I attempted to draw a composite picture of Black America's wealthy and financially independent population. I spoke with the old and the young, male and female, educated and uneducated, the professional and the working class, doctors, lawyers, accountants, business owners, college graduates, as well as high school drop-offs, Corporate executives, high achieving men and women of all types, each proved what is possible when you possess clarity of purpose backed by persistence, determination and an indefatigable commitment to a program of wealth creation and financial investing. In short, black millionaires adhere to nine key disciplines while creating their fortunes. I am often asked what common traits I observed as I interviewed many of today's Black wealthy. Amazingly, the answer is simple because nearly all successful men and women share two common factors a relentless commitment to lifelong learning and a tenacity of purpose. In other words, tightly crafted goals match with the discipline to achieve them. The difference between the haves and the have not does not rest with possessions or lack thereof. No. The disparity can be found in the individual's life purpose and what each group is willing to do to attain its goals. How can you apply these fundamental truths by deciding what your long-term financial goals are and working toward them one step at a time? When I first took on this project, my goal was to provide a roadmap for financial growth and development, a textbook that will be packed with the best and the latest insight into the behaviors and mindset of Black America's financial elite. I want to arm you the reader with the skills and strategies that lead to abundance and prosperity. I want you to refer to this volume again and again, knowing that you will find exactly what you need at just the right moment. But most important, I want you to become aware of the nine disciplines, internalized character traits and attributes that all black millionaires share and practice with the hope that you will incorporate these principles into your life. Discipline one. Be passionate and focus on unique strengths. Develop clear, delineated goals. Let me write that down. These are the nine disciplines of black millionaires. All right, be passionate. Focus on unique strengths. Develop clear, delineated goals. Each of us is driven to some degree by the mantra, get a life. But millionaires have done that and more. The wealthy have determined a cause, a consuming, almost obsessive purpose that drives them to try to do, to grow and to expand. They got a life and not just any life, but a blessed life, a good and productive life, a life that is fearless, that isn't burdened by risk or the possibility of failure, a life wherein they are willing not only to take a leap of faith, but to keep that faith through daily prayer, a life that can be still while listening for God's voice, a life that asks not for material possessions, but for guidance, knowledge, and wisdom, a life that is over, with overwhelming with self-control, confidence, and discipline, a life that focuses on its unique strengths and refuses to undertake tasks where it cannot perform at its best. In other words, a life that is motivated by the question Where can I apply my talents and gifts to render the best advantage? A life built with warmth and laughter. A life not based on money, but built on adding value and service. Or, as one respondent shared, never do anything for the sake of money. If you find a vocation that you really love and ask, value, you take my word for it, money will find you. A life filled with compassion and generosity, a life that is glorious and cannot be taken for granted. At their core, today's financial elite view themselves less as wealthy or successful and more as individuals who have worked hard to pursue their passion. In my focus groups, they spoke at length about the importance of loving their work, establishing meaningful goals, and enjoying what they do. It shouldn't be necessary to ask people if they enjoy their work. Their faces should answer the question without words. It was a passion that set the actions of the Atlanta, Georgia-based Paschal Brothers apart from so many entrepreneurial startups. In 1947, James and Robert Paschal opened a 30-seat luncheonette in the heart of downtown Atlanta, where they sold sandwiches and sodas. As their business grew, they expanded the menu to include both lunch and dinner. Owning neither a stove, nor a car, or even the basic necessities, they prepared the food at their home and had it delivered to the luncheonette by cab. Both Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and future president had their next political moves over Pashaw's fried chicken and peach cobbler. Passion caused by Byron E. Lewis, to dive headfirst into an uncertain global marketplace. When Lewis launched the Uniworld Group in 1969, the agency's existence was a radical notion. Marketing to African-Americans and Latinos? At the time, these two ethnic groups comprised less than 20% of the U.S. population. Today, ethnic and segmented markets are the market, and Uniworld, the oldest multicultural marketing agency in the country, continues to be the trendsetter. Nearly 30 years after his launch, Lewis's agency boasts annual billings of more than $133 million and provides a wide array of in-house advertising, public relations, event marketing, broadcast production, and entertainment-oriented services. And what is Lewis's secret? He clearly is intoxicated with his work, completely absorbed, Passion never has to beg for advancement, he explained during a conference keynote that I attended. Byron E. Lewis. The individual who masters his trade and is engaged in his work will be escorted to the front. Discipline two, autonomous and independent. Deep need for internal control. highly motivated self-starters. Whenever I'm asked what I believe is the purpose of my life, my response is the same. Of all the great earthly pursuits, one resides head and shoulders above the rest, Every virtue, treasure, and reward in life is obtained only through this quest, simply stated is fulfilling your potential. Robert Louis Stevenson, the 19th century Scottish writer, said it best, to become what we are capable of becoming is the only end in life. Unfortunately, most people deny life's endless possibilities and fail to exploit their God-given gifts. There is an anonymous quote that the greatest waste in the world is the difference between between who we are and what we could have become. And what is our response to this underutilized and discarded time and effort? Abraham Maslow, the father of third force psychology, wrote, If you plan on being anything less than what you are capable capable of being, you'll probably be unhappy all the days of your life. Okay. the emerging picture from this study does more than suggest that the black financial elite are intensely goal oriented. They are also ambitious self starters who possess a deep need for internal control of their lives. They know what they want and they are focused single mindedly on achieving their objectives. For the most part, the wealthy adhere to the unwritten rule of financial success. It doesn't matter where you come from. All that matters is where you're going. And where you are going is determined solely by your thoughts and actions. When asked for his prescription to success, a Dallas, Texas-based millionaire replied, I get up early, stay up late, and do a whole bunch in between. Another member of his peer group chimed in. I discovered that the best way to predict my future is to create it. It serves no purpose to either play it safe or small. If that means I must continually grow and stretch myself, so be it. By definition, these men and women are self-made. In short, they take complete responsibility for the outcome of their lives, regardless of their struggles and failures. The two words you will never hear the wealthy utter are, if only. The habit, This habit alone allows them to rise from obscurity to positions of power and influence. Discipline three, industrious, strong work ethic and a bias for action. What is the one attribute that all millionaires exhibit? What quality is the bedrock of their financial success? What is the one feature that translates to prosperity and abundance? Hard work. The affluent have adopted this positive compulsive behavior in the belief that sacrifice, grit, and toil produce character, integrity, and value. As one responded emphatically stated, you can always work your way out of poverty and failure. Another participant who stopped at the current market downturn continues to set the pace on Wall Street. As an investment banker in between my class, he visited me in my office long enough to share his keys to success. It seems so cliche, he said, but it's true. You'd be surprised how much money you could earn if you'd only show up. You can have anything in life that you desire as long as you are willing to earn it. Millionaires love their work and they love to work. Nearly each member of the seven figure club knows both victory and defeat, but their ambition, persistence and drive. And ceaseless appreciation for hard work have earned them millions in spite of the occasional bump in the road, and they lead by example. When asked what term describes them best, nearly three out of four respondents cited hard work. And to further underscore the point, regardless of their vocation, the majority in the study said they identified with the label hardworking. As a boy growing up in Dayton, Ohio, Henry Parks, the marketing genius who would bla- blaze the trail for future Black entrepreneurs, saw a sign hanging outside a neighbor's the store. Boy Wanted. Young Parks immediately removed the sign and walked boldly inside. The store owner indignantly asked what he meant by removing the sign. You won't need it anymore, Parks asserted. I'm going to take the job. And he took it. Tyler Perry made no secret of the pains he expended as he created his most memorable scenes in his films. It is said that Alex Haley rewrote Roots dozens of times. And even then, he was unsatisfied He would cut, splice, and edit whatever he wrote until he was completely satisfied. Maya Angelou would spend weeks over a single sentence, Lisa Nicole over hours over a word, Toni Morrison a month over a short composition, and E. Lynn Harris thought four lines were a good day's work. During a Crown Forum symposium lecture at Morehouse College, his alma, alma mater, Spikely gave the secret to his success both professionally and financially. Hard work and perseverance made me what I am today. He shared as he stood before a room packed with ambitious students. I am most fulfilled when pursuing my labor of love. Hard work is the parent of all worthwhile endeavors, whether in the business or the arts. If the wealthy could offer a fresh beatitude to the eight blessings provided in the book of Matthew, it would be blessed are those who have found their work. Wealth will never open its doors to those who are unwilling to pay the price in terms of sweat, sacrifice, and hard work. Discipline four, creativity and innovation. Recognize the powers of ideas. Innovate or die. I know that sounds dramatic. And while you might not physically die, your greater hopes and dreams and your chances to accomplish your big goals will. Innovation has always separated leaders from followers, those who succeed and those who just get by. Innovation is what creates progress. And progress is what advances companies and people beyond the competitive herd of the masses average and the status quo. Innovation is not a task, project, or something that you only do as an off-site meeting. Innovation is a constant mindset and perspective. It's a way of looking at the world. Instead of seeing what is, it is looking for what could be. Being an innovator is seeking the greater potential in every person, in every situation, process, experience, and outcome. The fundamental desire of an innovator is to help serve and solve. Oops. Damon John can neither sing nor dance, so in his early 20s, using his inexhaustible creative power, he hooked into the burgeoning 1980s rap scene in New York as a path to success. John worked as a roadie for Renault rappers Run DMC and LL Cool J, and in the process discovered his enthusiasm for fashion. As the founder of the urban clothing line, FUBU, John built his empire with determination, creative marketing and groundbreaking branding strategies, known as the godfather of urban fashion. John runs a number of multi-million dollar clothing enterprises while offering branding expertise to some of the top companies and celebrities in the world. However, as recently as 1992, John wasn't successful or wealthy, far from it. He had little direction and almost no understanding of the apparel industry. What he did possess, however, was a strong desire to utilize his creative skills and revolutionize the sportswear industry by branding a distinctive line of jerseys, jeans, and outerwear with a decidedly urban appeal. After pricing competitive brands, he decided to design and manufacture his own line instead. At breakneck speed, he began sewing his logo onto every piece of clothing he could produce, hats, hockey jerseys, sweatshirts, and T-shirts before even considering a marketing strategy. In 1998, Food ranked ranked in more than $350 million in revenue. John's business ventures have brought in more than $4 billion in sales since the line was released. He is amused by the nickname Godfather of Urban Fashion, but knows that it is a result of his relentless effort, determination, and knowledge of what it takes to build a successful business. I've learned, especially in this industry, that all aspects of this business revolve around preparation, sales, and marketing. I was rejected by 27 banks. I was turned down because I was poorly prepared. I didn't know what potential investors needed to see. I didn't know how to write a business plan. I had no concept of business forecasting and strategic planning. To be blunt, I didn't know a thing but it was a learning curve and the only skill set that is more expensive than education is ignorance. I now know what the wealthy and affluent have known all along, the marketplace pays for results, not effort. In other words, focus on the future and keep the ideas flowing. Anything and everything can be branded, he shared during our interview, and what lies at the heart of an effective brand, creativity and innovation, your ability to develop ideas, connect with others and impact the bottom line. So I'm going to stop there. We still have four more disciplines to go through for the top nine disciplines of black millionaires. I'm going to summarize the first. I'm going to summarize the first four. And go down that list and summarize everything that we just went over. So number one, be passionate and focus on unique strengths, develop clear delineated goals. Your life is not based on money, but on adding value and service. Passion never has to beg for advancement. The individual who masters his trade and is engaged with his work will be escorted to the front. Autonomous and independent. A deep need for internal control. Highly motivated self-starters. To become what we are capable of becoming is the only end in life. If you plan on being anything less than you are capable of being, you will probably be unhappy all your life. Industrious, strong work ethic and a bias for action. You can always work your way out of poverty and failure. Creativity and innovation, recognize the power of ideas. Innovation is what creates progress, and progress is what advances companies. So I really enjoyed um, going over the disciplines of black millionaires. I learned a lot. and. I think my favorite one out of these four is being autonomous and independent and having, you know, the ability to self-start because actually that's how I got where I am today in technology. Um, I I didn't have anybody to mentor me or, or guide me into computer science. I did everything by myself. Not by myself, but I started on my own. And to this day, um, everything that I'm doing as far as the work that I do at I'm in tech, I self-start all of that work, um, teaching courses on computer science, hieroglyphics, um, anything that I teach, mathematics. It's, it's a part of self-starting and, you know, being independent and not waiting for somebody to tell you, like, look, you need to do this or you need to start on this. No, telling yourself that, look, I'm going to start on this and I'm going to work hard at this. And I'm going to be creative, innovative, passionate, and I'm going to have clear goals of where I want to be in the future. And then discipline number five, I'll leave you with this to segue, is never consider the possibility of failure. So that's a key takeaway from this discussion is that to be a millionaire, to be a billionaire, you can't even consider the possibility of failure. Because like we said before, you can always work your way out of poverty and failure. So failure is not an option. Failure is not a possibility. It has to be completely erased out of your mind that failure is a possibility. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this discussion of the wealth choice secrets of black millionaires. And I definitely cannot wait to talk about the other five secret disciplines and secrets to, to the black millionaire elite. So with that being said, make sure you share this information with somebody, change a life, spread the spread the word spread the knowledge and i will see you guys in the next podcast peace